Um, we are in this middle of a teaching series we're calling Broken People, Unbreakable Grace, and it's a high-level overview of the Old Testament through the lens of some of the more, the more prominent characters. And last week, last week, last time we were together, we talked about Abraham, and what we tried to take away from our time with Abraham is that there is nothing that can keep God from fulfilling the promises that he has made. No natural obstacle, no personal shortcoming or flaw can keep God from fulfilling those promises. And a big part of that promise is uh, descendants, right? God promised Abraham at a very old age when he, should, he and his wife should not have been able to have children that they would indeed not just have one child, but descendants that outnumbered the, the stars in the, in the night sky. And the, the first kind of branch in that family tree was a son um, named Isaac. And we don't know a whole lot about Isaac um, other than that he dug a lot of wells and um, he, we talked about Abraham lying about his wife being his sister. Isaac did the exact same thing to protect himself, lied about um, his wife being his sister. And he is the father of Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is the next Old Testament character that we're going to take a look at. And something kind of very foundational, one of the very first things we read about Jacob is about food, right? One of our, one of our favorite subjects. And... Um, it's uh, kind of, like I said, foundational to the story. So what I wanted to do to get started, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to think about it for a second. Don't blurt out an answer, but I will ask you to blurt out an answer in a second. I want to give our folks online a chance to, to get caught up. question is, if you could have one meal for the rest of your life, only one meal, what would it be? Okay? Take a couple seconds, think about it, folks online. Patty gave you guys a heads up, so you guys should be putting stuff in that chat box already. One meal for the rest of your life. All right, anybody? What? what? Shrimp, and Shrimp? Wow, okay. Expensive taste, John. I like it. Pizza. Pizza. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> okay, now we're getting specific. On like linguine, fettuccine, like what? Okay. What's that? Oh, tacos. All right. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so the, the food that kind of starts us off on Jacob's journey and the meal that I'm not sure like this is like a loophole they found to that question, but it's stew, right? You could have beef stew, vegetable stew, lentil stew. You could probably even come up with a way to make breakfast stew or dessert stew and like just kind of cover, cover it all. Um, but as we, we think about this idea of stew in the, the story, it was a gift, right? It was a gift that was used and abused. And as we look at Jacob's life and the people who kind of surround him, almost all of them, they chase after the gifts of God rather than God himself in all kinds of like devious ways and underhanded ways and just like totally, totally out for themselves kind of ways. And as we look at Jacob and he finally, he finally gets to a point where he understands that it's not about the gifts of God, but about God himself um, but the, the idea we want to leave here with this morning is this, that when we chase after God's good gifts rather than God himself, we risk losing both. And so as we dive into the character of, of Jacob, uh, hopefully that idea will, will emerge. And when we talked about Abraham, I kind of give you a quick bulleted timeline of his life. And Jacob is a little more complicated, so try, we're going to try and take a look at a little bit of his, his family tree. And we go back to grandpa, right? This is, this is grandpa Abraham. 
Abraham had three wives. Um, his wife, Sarah, whom is the mother of Isaac, Hagar, who was the mother of Ishmael, and Keturah, who became Abraham's wife after Sarah passed away. And she had uh, another bunch of children. We're going to concentrate on this relationship between Abraham and Sarah. And because they give birth to Isaac, right? And Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the first branch in that family tree that we talked about that eventually, um, that God wants to bless the world through, through this family. Isaac and Rebekah have two children, Esau and Jacob. They're actually twins, but Esau is born first. So he, in the, in the ancient world, being born first was a big deal. He was born first. It says that as Jacob came out of the womb, he was grasping for his brother's heel. It was like he was trying to steal right from the get-go. He was trying to steal what wasn't his. And that kind of continues on. So here, Stu comes back, right? The, the very next part of the text that we read, this is Genesis, um, the life of Jacob, Jacob is like Genesis 25 through 36, somewhere in there. Um, so Esau is a hunter, right? And he comes in from hunting. He's, he's just completely famished, starving. And his brother had been cooking, making lunch or dinner or whatever. And, and he says, like, give me, give me some of that food. That looks good. I'm hungry. I'm, I, I, I'm going to die if I, don't, if I don't get some of that food. Jacob's like, bro, Trade me your birthright. Trade me your birthright for some stew. And birthright, right? Birthright, um, head of household, leader of family worship, double portion of the family inheritance. And in this case, it would be the blessing that God gave to Abraham would go through Isaac. Esau's like, I'm hungry, give it to me. So he traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. Text tells us that Esau despised his birthright. He found food more valuable than this spiritual, this spiritual blessing. The very next thing, we see Stu come back into this story again. I'm going to leave Stu alone after this because the text leaves it alone, but we're just going to, this one more time, right? So um, Isaac is very old at this point. His eyesight is failing. He's hungry. He tells Esau, who is a talented hunter, go out, catch me some game, bring me back, make me some of that food that I love so much, and I will give you my blessing, right? The blessing, um, so Birthright and blessing are two kind of different things, a little tricky, but a blessing could be given to any child. Birthright is that of the firstborn, but he wanted to bless Esau. Mom overhears this and goes and tells Jacob, look, go make some stew or go get some food. I'll make some stew for your father just the way he likes it, and we're going to trick him, and we're going to trick your brother out of his birthright by fooling your old blind father. And they do it. They work together. They pull it off. And Jacob steals the blessing and the birthright from, from his brother. Esau is ticked, and he, he wants Jacob, he wants to kill him. Mom hears, hears that, says, Jacob, you need to take off. Go, leave. So he leaves, and he heads out, and he's going to family. This guy Laban is his, is his uncle. And on his way to see Laban, he has an encounter with God. Sometimes it's referred to as Jacob's ladder. And in this encounter, angels of the Lord are descending and ascending, and they're coming up and down to Jacob. And Jacob realizes that this is God reaching out to him for the first time. Previous to this, Jacob has always referred to the God of Abraham or the God of your father. It's never my God, never Lord. So this is like a first time 
that Jacob gets a glimpse that God wants a relationship with him, that God wants Jacob to follow him. So he goes on from that encounter, and um, before he even sees Laban, <clears throat> excuse me, he sees a beautiful woman named, named Rachel. And so he finds out who's Rachel's daughter or her father and says, goes and finds Laban. Turns out it's Laban. He says, I, I would like to marry. I'm truncating this. There's a lot more to this. I'm, I'm giving you the, the abridged version here. I would like to marry your daughter. Laban's like, what? Okay. He says, I'll work for seven years for your daughter. Done. This is where it starts getting a little more complicated. Jacob works the seven years. He says, I would like to, like to marry her. We're not exactly sure how this happens. Maybe it was darkness. Maybe there was a veil. Maybe there was a combination of both. But somehow, Laban tricks Jacob into marrying his firstborn daughter, Leah, Rachel's younger daughter. He sends Leah into the wedding tent. Leah consummates the wedding with Jacob. So he is legally, they're legally married now. He comes out, what have you done to me? I thought I was marrying Rachel. This is Leah. Laban says, no problem. Work for me for another seven years, right? And you can, you can have both of my daughters as, as wives. So he does. Jacob gives him another seven years. In addition, each of the girls has a maidservant, just like um, uh, Hagar was maidservant to Sarah. Now we see Zilpah and Bilhah. All right, you ready? This is where it gets like Housewives of Beverly Hills this year. Leah and Jacob starting having kids. She has four kids. Rachel gets upset. She wants to give Jacob children. She wants to help carry on the family line. She's not having children on her own. So she says, take Bilhah as a surrogate. They have two kids. Leah is no longer having children on her own. She says, well, I can play that game too. I want to I you know, be in good with Jacob. I want to receive God's blessing and more children. So take Zilpah and have, as a surrogate. Have children with her. You got, this is a lot of kids. <clears throat> Then Leah um, is blessed again by God. She's able to have more children. And then finally, finally, God blesses Rachel with two more sons. Now, this is significant, right? You look at that. Those, it's 12, 12 sons and one daughter. Those 12 sons go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. They will, they're they're going to be the nation that Jesus comes out of that the whole Old Testament is about come from these 12 families. What are going to be these 12 families? All right, back to Jacob and Laban. They're in business together, family business. They're hurting. They spend their time together trying to cheat each other out of the profits of the business. So Jacob, they, they work together, they steal from each other. They work together, they steal from each other. Jacob was there for seven years working for Rachel the first time, seven years working for Rachel the second time, then he's there for approximately another six years, having all those children, working with Laban. He's like, I want to go back. I want that land that I heard about that God promised to grandfather Abraham. I want to go back, and I want to live, I want to live there. So he sneaks away in the middle of the night, takes Laban's daughters, takes Laban's grandchildren, and he sneaks away in the middle of the night. Laban was not following God, right? So he had these little statues in his house that Rachel, Jacob's, one of Jacob's wives, stole, took with her. Scholars think that the reason that she did that was because those deities could only protect what was in their immediate area. So she wanted their protection. 
The other theory is that they were made of something valuable, right? So she wanted to just stole them because they were, they were worth some money. Either way, she steals from her father. They're gone in the middle of the night. Laban realizes they're gone, realizes his household gods are gone, and he chases after them. Catches up with them, confronts everybody, where are the idols? Where are my household gods? And he goes around and he, he like searches Jacob's entire caravan, and he finally gets to Rachel. Rachel's got him, and she just flat out lies to him. Father, I don't know, I, I can't, I'm sorry. So now Jacob's ticked. He's like, you accuse us of this. Nothing wrong has been done when it really has. And so they kind of, they go, they go their separate ways. Jacob is now leaving the hostility and the deception of Laban, and he's heading back to Canaan, where his brother Esau still is. The last time he saw Esau, he was stealing his birthright. Esau wanted him dead. He's leaving the hostility of Laban, heading into the hostility of Esau. Before he gets to Esau, he has another encounter with God, actually more of like a WWE wrestling match kind of deal. He has a, he, a, a messenger of God, and, and the text tells us that it actually is God, wrestles with Jacob. Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you give me your blessing. And he receives the blessing from God that he had been trying to steal and wrestle and everybody else had been stealing and wrestling for. He came in contact with God, realized the blessing could only come from God. God blesses him and he changes his name to Israel. So this can get confusing throughout the rest of the text. It's the nation of Israel. It's also the man of Israel, but that's who the nation is named after. Israel means wrestles with God. He meets up with Esau. This is kind of like a non-event because Esau is apparently some kind of great dude. He forgives him, right? He forgives him, and they, they go. And from this point on, Jacob kind of fades to the background, and his sons take a much more prominent role in the remaining chapters of the book of Genesis, primarily his son Joseph. And that's who we'll get to, who we'll get to next time. All right, I'm out of breath. You guys okay? So as we look at Jacob and his life and all the people around him and the things that they did and what they were trying to acquire, the blessings and the gifts that they were trying to acquire, right? Isaac lied for his own protection, said, told his wife to lie about who she was so he would be protected. Esau compromised this tremendous spiritual blessing for a temporal gain, right? He wanted some food. Rebecca schemes and lies for the sake of relationship. Jacob lies, steals, schemes, all for provision, Right? He was looking out for himself, and he was scratching and clawing and trying to come up with this stuff. Laban and Jacob, Jacob cheat each other for financial gain, and Rachel steals and lies either for protection or provision. We're not, we're not sure which. All of those things that people wrestled for and cheated each other out of and treated each other so poorly for, God had for them and wanted to give them. And the turning point of the account of Jacob's life isn't until he wrestles with God and he recognizes that that blessing, that the thing that he is looking for can only come from God. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. So God blesses him. I want to read to you the text of, that, um, of that, the tail end of that wrestling match. This is Genesis 32, 26 to 29. Then the man, the man in this account is God. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. 
The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. Jacob came to realize that with God came the gifts of God. All those things that all those people were wrestling for and fighting for were found in God, found through God. Now, it would be super, super easy to moralize right about Jacob's story. Don't lie, don't steal, don't have 13 kids with four different women, don't show favoritism, all of that stuff. But morality will neither provide us blessing nor will it save us. Right? What blesses us and saves us is the knowledge and the experience and a relationship with God himself. It's not, it's not like God is mean-spirited or miserly and wants to keep all the resources of the universe that Ben talked about, right? All those resources to himself. He wants to share them. That's why he created man and woman to share so that they would rule and reign with him. He wants to share those good things with people. Listen to some of these verses. Matthew chapter 7. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So this is kind of one of those things that is, it's sometimes hard to see in the moment. But it's only through the perspective of hindsight that we can look and be like, that really felt and tasted like a rock at the time, but it was like a delicious crusty loaf of that ciabatta. Like it was just, it was good. Some of you know the story of my senior year in college when I was getting ready to propose to a girl. And I lived in a fraternity house at the time. And my, my fraternity brothers knew I was going to propose. And I had actually forgotten this part of the story. I think, not forgotten, I had actually repressed it. Um, so I went to meet this girl that I was going to ask to marry me. And um, she dumped me. Right? Like, I was legit getting ready to propose, and she dumped me. And the part that I had forgotten was I walked back into my fraternity house, and we had this room called the brother's room. It was lined with these couches that were like this crushed red velvet that we got from a funeral home that went out of business. <laughs> and it was, it was like a bunch of my fraternity brothers, guys who were my roommates, my closest friends. I'm like, what? She, she said yes? She said yes? I'm like, she dumped me. And like with all the, the emotion that a 21-year-old guy <laughs> can muster, they're like, Dude, that sucks. Here, have a beer. Like, that's like... <clears throat> and in that, in that moment, and for the next nine months, ten months, I was like, God, what are you doing? Like this, is the, like, this is the woman I thought you had put in my life to marry. And God had something way, way better. <laughs> Gail and I started dating the next summer, and um, like I said, through the lens of hindsight, right, you can see that loaf of bread, what previously tasted like a, like a rock. Um, 
Listen, listen to this one from James chapter 1. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So when I started this, you might have been thinking, like, but Stu is not a gift from God. Every good thing, right? Every good thing is from God. And it's all as a result of his hand. It's not the universe. It's not luck. It's not even your hard work or good looks. It's a gift from God that he wants to share with us. Six different times Paul says something like this in the New Testament. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The greatest gift God ever gave was himself. He gave himself for the church. He gave himself for you. He gave himself for me, for our ransom, for our redemption. Those are all the different things that Paul says in the New Testament about Jesus giving himself for us. And and through that relationship, through that gift, we have access to that. Like That's the greatest gift of all. We don't need anything else. But God in his goodness and his generosity lavishes all those other things, all those other things on us. And they kind of get wrapped up in this one verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Chase after God and the gifts of God will follow. There is no one or no thing that knows you as well as God does, that loves you as much as God does, who knows what you need, when you need, how much of it you need, and and how you should go about coming into uh, possession of of whatever that, that might be. God is so good. He is so good in his in his generosity. I want to leave you with a, with a little bit of homework. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, is a prayer that Jesus prayed. The whole chapter is a, is a prayer. I want you to spend some time with that chapter this week, and I want you to notice how many times there's a form of the word give or gave in that chapter what God gave to Jesus, what Jesus gave to the disciples, what the disciples give to us, what Jesus gave, gives to us. I think it's like 16 different times. It could be more. But spend, read that chapter, break it down into verses, meditate on it, look at all those occasions when that word give or gave is, is used. That's your homework. Do not be fooled. Do not give in. Do not give up. If you're chasing after anything other than Jesus, you're chasing after the wrong thing. Let's pray. God, would you open our eyes to see your hand? God, would you open our eyes to see the gift that you give us in yourself? the greatest gift of all. God, open our eyes to how you want to bless us. We don't have to wrestle. We don't have to steal. We don't have to cheat. We come to you, and in you we have everything. 
We thank you so much for that, Jesus, so much. We pray these things in your mighty name.